Father, we just thank you for, for your blessings to us and that we can spend some time together here at camp meeting. We just thank you. It's such a, a blessing to be here. So many good speakers, so much good material. We just say, ask that you'll help us to take that to heart as we go home after the week and apply it in our lives. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said yesterday, you know, it's interesting. You, you just you hear these, you pick up these little snippets of uh, things from time to time, and I keep a track of them in, my, in OneNote. And, and so I'm just sharing some of these things I've sort of tracked over the years. And this is another one of those. So from Desire of Ages, Jesus worked to relieve every case of suffering uh, every case of suffering that he saw. He had little money to give, but he often denied himself of food in order to relieve those who appeared more needy than he. When they, that is the people, spoke harshly, other people, spoke harshly to poor, degraded beings, Jesus sought out these very ones and spoke to them words of encouragement to those who were in need, he would give a cup of cold water and would quietly place his own meals in their hands. As to relieve their suffering, the truths he taught were associated with, act, with his acts of mercy and were thus riveted in the memory. I just thought that that's a really profound thing. I, it's hard to imagine what Jesus was like, but boy, he must have been a really kind person. Yeah, that's, that's just a little glimpse you get of his early life when he was younger. He was really the one that was looking out for people and for, for those that were, were suffering. But uh, I, the statement that really caught me in this whole thing was that he often denied himself food. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, I've never denied myself food. <laughs> In my whole life, I don't think I ever said, oh man, I can't, I'll just give up my food here and give it to somebody. There's always more food than we could possibly ever need. I mean, there's no need to do that, it seems like. But, uh, so it's, it's hard to understand that sometimes, but uh, that must have been the case in those times. So. And then a couple things of interest here. Um, uh, some things that are interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but the Adventist Church... I'd like to throw one sort of Adventist website in here. The Adventist Church runs a website called the AdventistYearbook.org. And the yearbook is like a listing of everybody that works for the church and every possible conference, union, mission, division, who the presidents are, who the secretaries are, and all of that. Um, let me see if I can just go in there really quick and show you that. Safari um, cannot open the page because it cannot connect to the server. Well, that's always good. I don't know why I can't. I've had a little bit of trouble this morning with the internet working, and I'm just wondering if we're having that issue right now, too. Well, I don't see Google's working, so I don't know. Maybe I did something with my link. So let's just go into Google, and we'll search for Adventist Yearbook. We'll see if Google knows about us or not. I have a feeling it might. There it is. All right, Adventist Yearbook. Let's see if I can go there now. There we go, now it's coming up. Oh, it's a little small here, um, but uh, so you can see 
you got world divisions there, you got more information. You can actually go back and you can see all the yearbooks that they've published over the years as well. So there's a lot of historical information in here going back many years. Um, of course, you can always get a copy of the yearbook if you want to purchase it. <laughs> but all the information is available for free. Yeah, the yearbook is <laughs> it's a pretty good sized book. <laughs> it's a lot of information in there. But um, you don't, I think you can just go and look at it. Uh, also on here uh, should be, this is from the Office of Archives, Statistics, and Research. You can see that there. And they have a lot of information as well. Uh, at the top of this tab, you can see we're on the yearbook tab. You can see that. There's also a directory. There's online archives and there's statistics. I'm just going to click over to the statistics side of this website because this is really interesting. Here you can go and see all the world divisions there in a nice map. And you can click on one, I believe. In theory, there it goes. And now we have statistics for the North American division, because that's what I clicked on. And here you can see the name of the field. You can see the name of each field. And here's the Lake Union Conference. And we have a total of 503 churches with 86,000 plus members. And we had 2,000 baptisms. And I, this might be last year's numbers, I'm not. I'm sorry, this is for 2016. I don't know how often these get updated, but anyway, if you're interesting, just something of interest to look at. So I thought you might enjoy seeing that. Um, the other thing, uh, a couple other things on here that are recently interesting. This, I, I don't know, this is sort of interesting. It's not maybe as, it's just something I saw the other day and I'm like, that's really cool. Um, so I said, I gotta show, show this to you guys. Um, this is, I'm just trying to show you sometimes that there's really interesting things on the internet that are worth looking at. And there's a lot of junk on the internet, but then there's this good stuff, okay? That's really worth spending time on, it seems like. So, this guy invented this bicycle machine that if you ride it for, I think it's a five minutes, it will automatically create a scarf. So it knits a scarf as you, while you're riding the bike. He's got a whole machine hooked up to it. You can see that kind of in the picture here. This is the, this machine here. <laughs> so I says, wow, you know, people really, sometimes people spend time doing interesting things, right? I mean, that's, that's worth sort of looking. You can see the scarf being made there in the machine. You know? So anyway, just, just for fun. And then the other thing that was interesting I, I was going to show you this morning is I just saw this the other day too. This one struck me as sort of uh, something that's been in the news a lot. This is related to these, um, this problem we have at the border with uh, children being separated from their parents. And the problem with the news sometimes is we get sort of we see things and it may or may not be true, what we're seeing. And I'm not saying this is or isn't, I don't know the whole story, I mean, that, that takes some time, but this particular thing I saw a week ago, or two weeks ago, this picture. And I don't know if any of you saw it, but uh, I'll show you the picture and you can see. 
if you've seen the picture here. So here's the picture. I don't know if any of you saw this picture. Right, there's a, there's a young, a really young boy in a cage. What looks like. What looks like a cage, right. And it was portrayed by many big news organizations that this was what was happening at the border. Well, it turns out that that picture was not of a boy at the border. It was a picture of a boy at a protest of what was going on at the border. So I'm just pointing this out to say, not everything you see on the internet is true, <laughs> right? You have to really pay attention to these things. And this doesn't mean that what's going on at the border is, is justified or right. But I'm just saying sometimes things get sensationalized. A lot of times things get sensationalized. So anyway, just a couple interesting things there. All right, so um, we'll go on here. There's a couple interesting things there. Now, um, yesterday, for those that weren't here, we, like I said, we didn't get as far as we were thinking we would. But a couple things we did cover that I just wanted to review is a re reminder to be skeptical. Uh, when you're on the internet, when you're doing things, when you see things, when you get messages on your screen, be a little skeptical. You know, check things out. We talked about that quite a bit. Be careful when you're clicking on links and email. Most of you know this stuff. And we, we described some ways that you can look at the name, uh, the, the web address, which is also called the URL, um, before you go online. And so those things, just a reminder of those things. And then today, um, what we're going to talk about if, well, I have a lot on this list. So we'll see. Maybe we get partway through this today. <laughs> There's quite a few things here to go through, but scams and passwords. Um, right, some of this was intended to go yesterday, right? So we put it in today's discussion. Um, cloud how we'll use the cloud and backups and encrypting data. So um, just a quick story here as we're getting started. I was, uh, I was thinking of this the other day that um, there's a story of this farmer and his wife. And of course, I grew up in Vermont. I may have mentioned that I grew up in Vermont to you guys before. So I'm sure this story took place in Vermont. Uh, there's lots of farms. So. Farmer and his wife were trying to find uh, a guy to help them. We call a farm hand, you know, a guy just to come out, give him help with the milking and the um, planting, uh, whatever else, other help they needed, taking care of the animals. And uh, they had uh, put an advertisement out, you know, for that. And, and uh, a gentleman came over, uh, and a younger man in his mid twenties. And uh, farmer's wife talked to him for a while, and, and he said, uh, they asked him, well, what's one of, the, one of the things that most qualifies you for this position? Uh, and he said, um, I, uh, I always sleep through the night, he said. I always sleep through the night. Yeah, and so... Uh, they thought about that for a while, and they didn't think about it much. But anyway, they, they, they ended up hiring him. And um, a number of weeks after he'd been working there a while, as 
a bad storm was coming through. And, uh, you know, farmhand, he was, it, was, it was late at night, he was sound asleep, and the farmer, he got up because he was thinking, I wonder what's going on outside in the barn, and I gotta go check stuff. And he went out there, and all the animals were in the barn, and all the doors were latched, and the windows were closed, and, and then he thought about, oh, I know why he can sleep through the night, right? He's prepared, right? He takes care of stuff when the weather's good so that when the storms come, he doesn't have to worry. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that in terms of computers, right? So um, can you sleep through the night thinking about your computer systems? Those of us in technology area can't always sleep through the night because it's, it's a little scary world, but we do pretty well. We do pretty well. I had a call yesterday, I was here, you know, after we had uh, had our, our meeting here, uh, I got a call from the union office, um, and they called and said, uh, we uh, have a problem, we just accidentally uh, messed up our revolving fund ledger. Uh, we made a mistake in what we were trying to do, and it's irreversible, what are we going to do? Well. I wasn't too worried because I knew that every night we back up that ledger. And so I says, oh, no worries, just give me 10 minutes here and we'll take care of you. So from here, remote into the servers down there, go to the backup, restore those files, life is good. Life is good. So thankfully they hadn't done too much work yet. <laughs> so they only lost a couple entries they had made. All right. This morning, though, let's, let's hop into the, the scams. Uh, many of you may have seen some of these. The, this is the, probably the most prevalent scam out there. It's called a phishing scam. Spelled P-H-I-S-H. I don't know why they spell it P-H, but I guess to distinguish it from regular phishing. Um, almost in every case, these are either uh, things that are too good to be true. Come over to my website and I will give you a million dollars because my grandmother got me an inheritance and this inheritance, I can't do anything with it, but if I could give it to you, it would be good, put to good use and you're such a wonderful person. Yeah, probably. Those, are, those have been around a long time, and it's almost somebody always in Kenya, it seems like. But anyway, so it, they grab your attention. And then there's a sense of urgency sometimes. It's a limited, a limited offer. Um, um, and the other thing I was going to say about these is the biggest one recently that we've seen is ones involving your bank account or the like, or a credit card. And they will say something like, the phishing scam will say something like, there is, I think I may have mentioned this yesterday too, there is a, a appears to be a, uh, a problem with your account. Vulnerability has been found in your account. Please click this link and sign into your credit card account and help us fix this problem. Invariably, those links are not legit, right? It's some scammer, some hacker out there that set up a website 
that's made to look just like your bank account. And you sign in with your credentials for your bank and immediately they have your information and can get into your account. So phishing, welcome Linda. Phishing is um, a big problem. So when you get one of these, in fact, I would say in general, for the most part, when you get hyperlinks and email, just be very cautious with them. I mean, just, just be super, super cautious. Um, it looks just like, let me see if I can see one, like those, those are hyperlinks. Right, they may not have the HTTP on there, but it would be a web address of some kind. And these are, these are all web addresses, hyperlinks. And when you click on one, it takes you to some web page, right? It's the address for a website. Yeah. So I'm just saying you get these in your email and you see them, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll just click on that. Just be, just be cautious. Be cautious of those. Yeah. We've had one recently, and I don't know if it's the same as this, on a home computer. Mm. Uh, we have the site for our bank, mm -hmm. and we store the password on the computer. Okay. Whether you agree with that or not. Yeah. It's, and so when my wife went to go pay some bills, she would click on the link, yep. and it would come up and ask for the password. And it had never done that before. And then off and on, it would do that. Like a pop-up would ask for no, it? Was the, it would look like the bank's website mm. with her name in it, her login. Yeah. But the password wouldn't show up. Oh, and she'd have to type it in manually? I told her never type it in manually. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought that might be a fake. It could be, and the only way to tell is to analyze the web address and see exactly where it's taking you. Yeah, you have to look at it carefully to see which what it is. Yeah, but that could be a fake. It's very possible that I mean, you could get a little bug on your computer that could be doing that too. Yeah. So you have to be cautious with those. Um, and here I mentioned it's an unusual sender. In other words, the email address who it's coming from is something you don't recognize. That's another big clue. But that's not necessarily always the case, right? So, because again, email address can be spoofed and email addresses can be hacked. So, um, let me just describe an instance that has happened recently at one of our conferences. At one of the conferences, the, an administrator's email account was hacked. So someone, was, someone broke in to someone that's fairly prominent at the conference. Um, they were able to get their username and password, and then they started using that email account to send email to other people. Well, the people that are receiving that email, they don't know that that account has been hacked, and in fact, that is a genuine email. It is coming from that real person. I mean, it appears to be coming from that real person. It is their, their account. So it's not spoofed even. It's, it's actually the email. They sent an email using that account to an associate treasurer. And they said, for the upcoming travel that's, a, that's going to be coming up, please transfer $40,000 into this account to, pay, to help pay for that travel. Now... You would normally say, eh, I don't know about that, right? Most people, common sense-wise, would say, I don't know. But they knew that the conference had travel, a big travel event happening. So it didn't look too odd to them, unusual. 
and they were t they had many things going on. I mean, they're you know sometimes in the office, it gets pretty hectic, and it was pretty hectic that day when that happened. So the timing was was good on the part of the hackers. They transferred that forty thousand dollars. So after they, the associate treasurer, yeah. So they thought after they did it, they were like, I don't know if that's. Maybe that wasn't right. <laughs> so then they, I think they may have called the administrator. They did call us as well. And we were like, we don't think that's legit. I mean, as soon as I heard it, I was like, I don't think so. I didn't even know what was going on other than what they told me. And I was like, yeah, it doesn't sound right. Anyway, they got to the, they found out very quickly, like, I don't know, within a half an hour, an hour that it was, it was not right. They called the bank and they were able to get, I believe, all that money back except for a small amount. And last I knew they were still working on that. But what I'm saying is you can't always trust, right, what happens in email. And especially when things are really important that are going on in email. If somebody emails you and says, hey, do X, I really need your help here, whatever, verify it some other way. That's all I'm saying, you know, check it some other way. This happened to me. I was sitting at uh, here about a year ago, working at my desk, got an email from the associate education director for the Lake Union. She said, I'm in Sweden and I need my email password reset. Can you reset my email password and then send it to me? And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. But what's interesting is that one actually turned out to be legitimate. She really was in Sweden <laughs> and she really did send that email. But I was like, but I still wouldn't have sent her that, you know, to, to do that. So, but there's other ways to reset the password. There's other ways, yeah, and yeah, right, right, right. Well, this was corporate email though, so it wasn't quite so. It's not set up that way. Oh. We have to do it from the office. Oh. But in any event, I, I wouldn't send her the password via email because <laughs> that's pretty. Yeah, there might be some way. Yeah. Sure, sure. Anyway, so that's that's phishing scams, and then the second type of scams I really want to cover is um, what are called tech support scams, and these are really pretty prevalent. Yeah, there, there's a lot of them around, and there's three different ways here we're showing that this can happen. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into each of these, but the unsolicited phone call, the pop-up, and the search engine results. So we'll just look at these really quickly. Uh, the first one, and maybe you've heard of somebody, or maybe this happened to you, you receive a phone call, you're sitting maybe at your computer, maybe not. And someone calls and says, hey, uh, this is Microsoft calling. We've detected a problem with your computer. Um, it's very serious and we want you to uh, give us access to your computer so that we can help solve your problem. And sometimes they'll put a lot of pressure on saying, you know, if you don't do this, you could be infecting other people all around the world. And, oh, it's gonna lock up your computer. You'll never see your data again. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's the answer to this one? Hang up. And Microsoft, Apple, uh, these other companies, they don't call you. So if someone's calling you, it's not them. I can assure you of that. 
Um, and this is just some more on that. Um, the results of this happening, because I have worked with people that have had this happen, I've worked with two or three people in the last year or two that this has happened to, where they actually took the call and they let the person into their computer. Um, and in both cases, they, they actually did damage to the computer. Okay, they didn't help at all. Obviously, they're scammers, so they're not going to help. Um, in one case, they basically locked the person out of their computer. So what they do is they go into your computer, they start fooling around, They'll, you'll see stuff flying up and down on your screen, it looks like they're doing something legit. It's just a bunch of bogus stuff. They don't, they're not doing anything that's meaningful. And in this case, then they get to the point and they say, okay, we fixed it, uh, can you give us $150? Can you give us $200? Or we need $250 to finalize the, the, the fix and so forth. And then in this, the case that I'm thinking of, they, um, the lady said, no, I'm not going to give you any money. And she hung up and um, shut off her computer. When she turned her computer back on, it came up and said, we need a password before you can get in. And the password was not her password. It was a password they had put in there to prevent her from getting access. Um, we were able to help her fix that problem, and she was able to get back in. But they could have done much worse, honestly. They could have encrypted all our files. They could have done a bunch of stuff to her. Um, thankfully, we were able to get her in. And, and they, may, they may do that. So anyway, so how to avoid it? As soon as you get the call, you hang up. That's it. You, just, you don't need to talk to them. I mean, there's no, there's no reason to. Has anyone here had a call like that? Oh, you have. Wow. OK. I was surprised. I, usually, I get maybe one that's had that. Yeah. I had a pop-up on here saying this is Microsoft call us. Yeah, right, and that's it. Yeah. Got me that hair's breath of giving my card Oh wow. Yeah, and that's the second one I'm just going to talk about here is the browser pop-up, um, and I don't know if you can see that, but um, it says you know your computer may have a virus. You've seen these. You, some of you have said you've seen these. Call this number. It's a toll-free number. That'll pop up on your screen. It actually locked up my computer to where I couldn't get out of the screen. So I said, fine. I just disconnected and took that. They took care of it. Yeah. Normally, these things will not do anything to your computer by just the pop-up until you click on something. Yeah. And so our recommendation here is that if you see these, there should be, and sometimes this is very tricky to see. So let me see if I get a better... A better copy of this here. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, here's the trick. Now, yeah, sometimes it's very, very difficult to find how to close it. And I'm looking at this one that we have an example of. Yeah, there is no good way on this particular one, but our recommendation is that you actually close the entire browser down right away. You don't even leave, you, you don't try to click on anything other than the X in the top right corner of the browser. And then you shut down the computer and restart. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can clean your cookies. Um, that can be a problem. Yeah. What if you go to Task Manager and X that out there? Yeah, you can go to Task Manager if you know how to do that and, and force close the program, the browser. That works. Yeah. Yep. Any of those options are good. Here's another one. This is one that is pretending to be Norton. If you're not familiar with Norton, Norton's a big antivirus company, anti-malware. 
Uh, Norton would never put this kind of a thing up on your computer. So you know this is not genuine. Um, they, they're, they're, yeah, there, there is just no way. Um, we've even seen these happening now on, uh, on a Mac computer. Um, this particular one happened on one of the Macs at the union office. Um, and we were able to grab a screenshot of that. So um, that, I don't remember, I think we, we purposely masked off that number so nobody would accidentally call. <laughs> I guess we didn't do that with the other ones, but. Um, I have not uh, recommended that, no. Um, it's very unusual and very difficult to get a virus, especially if you have an iPhone. I'd be, I think if I had an Android, I might think about it because the Android's a little more vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, because of the way uh, apps run on an iPhone, the apps run in a completely sandboxed environment, making it very difficult for those apps to interact with anything else on the phone. On an Android, the apps have access and can get to certain types of information and other pieces of what's going on on the phone itself. So, uh, I, Apple has been very good at trying to figure a way to, to secure their devices from these kinds of things, and, that, and they do work better. But I'll tell you what's happening. People are spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to hack these devices. So will we see some issues? We could. We could down the road. Because as things become a bigger target, that's what the hackers are going to try and get to. Windows has had the most issues partly because they're a huge target. Right? I mean, there's so many people using Windows, so that's what the hackers go for. Yeah. All right, so those are the... Um, those are those two types of tech support scams. And the third one is the illegitimate search results. And this happens frequently when someone is having an issue with their computer. So they're having a problem, and they go online, and they type in something like, uh, I need help with this uh, tech support issue I'm having, right? And then they get search results up. Um, and I don't know if I have a picture of that. I guess, I, oh, I do. No, I don't. Hold on. I thought I had a picture of that. Oh, here we go. I'm sorry, it's right here. Um, so here's the... Here, you get these illegitimate search results that are look like this sometimes. So you do a search online, you're looking for help, and then you get these kinds of things, and they're, they're paid ads, and you know that because... You can see that word ad right there to the left of the search results. See that word ad? That, that's, telling you, that's telling you this is not just a regular search result. Somebody paid to have that on there. And in this case, you can look at this and say, well, you need a little experience maybe, but cloudgeekx.com just doesn't sound like something legitimate to me. I mean, and, and you kind of have to use a little common sense when you're looking at these and saying, well, is that one real or not? And, and this guraaid.com. Both of these companies, in fact, were scam artists, and they were scamming people. The same way when people call you, they're the same kind of companies. Uh, there's a story of a guy that actually tracked down some of these guys all the way to India. <laughs> 
And many of these companies are operating in foreign countries, of course. And so he, he actually physically flew to India because he was trying to track these guys down and went searching for them <laughs> and spent a lot of time. Were they able to do anything about it? He did get this one company shut down because he, he, he figured out where they were and he got the authorities to deal with them there in India. But the problem is... Right, right. I think it's, it's so easy to do that, you know, you close one down, but it's just going to pop up somewhere else. So, I, I mean, it helps some, but the, the main way to prevent these kind of things from happening is education. That's our view. You know, the more people that understand what's going on and don't click the links and don't take the phone calls and all that, the better. So, all right. Well, what did I just do now? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, so we talked about that, and again, if you're unsure of something, talk to someone you know. If you're the victim of one of these things, you can contact your local police and report it. Um, you can contact the FBI. I do not have their contact information today. I forgot to bring that. Um, and you also should always, if, if you gave them their credit card information and they charged you, call your credit card company and tell them what happened. A lot of times they will reverse that charge if they know that that was a tech support or any other kind of scam. They'll help you take care of that. Um, so, all right, the third scam I just want to mention is ransomware. Has anyone here heard of ransomware? Okay, if you have. Has anyone experienced ransomware? Well, you're, you're lucky if you haven't. Um, it is a type of, uh, of malware or a virus, um, and you get it from various ways. I mean, it can come um, from clicking on a link on an email and getting it into your computer that way. It can come because you download a piece of software that you want from the Internet, and that software has ransomware as part of it. Okay, those kind of things. So what it does is it gets on your computer and it starts, it's running. And in the background, as you're doing your daily activities and going about your business, it just starts encrypting your files. It'll, it'll just search your computer and if it finds a Word document or an Excel spreadsheet or a PDF, it looks in your My Documents folder, your Music folder, starts encrypting it. Well, so why would somebody want to encrypt all your files? Right, it's a ransom. You want your files back, you pay them money. So, yeah. What's that? Hopefully you back them up. Correct, yeah. Yes. It's possible. Yep, right. So this gentleman's asking rather if you have a backup and you have that backup drive online connected to your computer all the time and you get this ransomware infection, it could also infect your backup drive. If it's hooked up. Right, the drive's right there. And it depends on exactly, right, you gotta unplug it, yeah. So we'll talk about that too a little bit. So if you get this ransomware on your computer, um, here's what you do. You, first of all, you got to unplug everything. You want to unplug any external drives, USB drives, um, and then turn off your Wi-Fi, your Bluetooth, and disconnect from the network if you're on a network. Um, 
and that's so that you don't infect anyone else that's on, that's on the network and hopefully if you get those drives disconnected soon enough they don't get infected um, and then of course you may want to shut your computer right off as well um, at that point but at some point you're going to have to figure out okay what was infected what was encrypted and you gotta it takes some time because basically you go back through everything on your machine and try to identify okay what programs what files were infected how badly is it impacting your drives? Um, uh, and then you have to figure out what you're going to do. And there's really, I mean, it's not a lot you can do, right? So after you get this ransomware, by the way, a message will pop up on your screen typically saying, if you ever want to see your files again, click here and pay the ransom. And then we'll decrypt your files. That's how it works, okay? So you'll get that message. Um, and I, I just, I think it's, I mean, you can pay the ransom, right? If that's your only option, but I would just encourage you if this ever happens to you not to do that. Be yeah. Yeah. Cause you, I mean, I know that there are times and there are big companies that this has happened to, by the way. Yeah. Atlantic city. I heard that was a big one. There were several big hospitals in England that were infected by ransomware. Um, they, they had very important documents that were encrypted. Um, and they ended up paying the ransom. In this, right, so the question is, are these guys, gonna, they're criminals, or are they gonna, are they gonna be? <laughs> right, yeah, it could happen. Going to be that malicious and, and encrypt your files and then want you to pay money for them. Right. Who says you pay money and they don't care? They just move on to the next victim. They could. They're already criminals and nothing. Right. I know in the case in the hospital in England, they did pay the ransom and they did get their files back. But rather, that would always happen. I mean, you're gambling, right? You don't know. Yeah, you're, you just don't know. So anyway, the, the, the way that you really can deal with this the best is to, if you have a good backup, that's the ideal scenario. You basically don't worry if you have a good backup, you just restore, right? You just start over if you want to, format your computer and start over. Yeah, but some of these places are doing that this happened to. Yes, right, in some cases. So again, and, and at the union office about three years ago, now I think it is two or three years ago, we had one computer that got ransomware on it. And all the files on that computer were in fact encrypted. And they were important files. Uh, they were very important to us. And we could not, uh, we had to have those files back. But we had a backup. So we weren't worried. All we did is we took that computer apart actually, and we pulled the hard drive out because we didn't want to deal with it. We didn't want to think about it. We didn't want to know what was going on. We didn't really care because we don't have time to mess around with this stuff. Anyway, it takes longer sometimes to mess with it than it just does to start over. So we just pulled the hard drive, put a new one in, reinstalled Windows, and restored from backup. And we we're good to go. So very simple if you have a good backup, right? It's not even an issue. You don't have to think about it if you have a backup. If you don't have backup, then there are some third-party decryptors available now. And... Um, I don't have those listed here, but you can search on Google for that. Uh, but you have to be a little bit cautious because you got to find the legitimate ones. Does your backup are you talking about like my phone is it the iCloud? In our case, no. It's it's, it's a, for 
backups? It could be iCloud, and we'll talk a little bit later here about the various ways you could do a backup. Yeah, you got to have a backup system in place, right, to make this work. Yeah, if you don't, of some kind, either locally or, or in the cloud. Of course, you could always do nothing too. You know, I mean, you don't have to do anything. You could just get a new computer and start over. <laughs> and say, oh, I lost my files. <laughs> Move on. Um, and of course, you can pay the ransom. And again, no matter which way you go, it's best to format your drive or put a brand new drive in after this happens. Um, so, um, the other thing I was going to say about these kind of issues, when you get a virus or abuseware or malware or anything on your computer like this, and you could spend a lot of time trying to clean your machine. But when we get these things that are really nasty on a machine, we don't mess around with trying to clean it. We just format the drive and reinstall because we, it's just, the stuff can get into places that I think even the best cleaning programs are not going to find it. It's just a tiny little thing that we don't think about. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's still there and it might be infected. Right, it might be infected. Right. And with Windows 10, it's not that hard to reformat, by the way, it's, or to reinstall. It's just this thing that came with your computer. You yeah. Bring it back to your... You can bring it back to factory setting right. yeah, very easily in, in Windows 10. Wasn't there one of you that just got into the BIOS? There has been some that got into BIOS. Yeah, you don't hear about them too often. They're much more, uh, much rarer than, than the ones that get into Windows. But it is technically possible to get into the BIOS. Yeah, especially if you attach yeah, with USB drives, yeah. You don't hear about them too much. All right, now, just to shift gears a little bit, I want to switch over to password, discussion on passwords, because this is another really sort of important area in, in staying safe, is having good passwords. Having good passwords. And many of you know that there's been some large, incredibly large data breaches in the last few years. Yeah. Most everybody in this room has had their data stolen, probably. I don't know if you realize that. If you're a U.S. citizen or you have a Social Security number, almost guaranteed at this point your data in some way is out in what's called the dark web, which simply means it's, it's out there with where the hackers have access to it uh, on, on databases. And that is because primarily Equifax was breached last fall, 143 million uh, people had their data uh, taken from Equifax. That includes your social security number, your date of birth, your address. Um, yes. It's one of the big three credit bureaus. We'll t I hope we have more time on Thursday. Maybe we'll talk some more about that, how, how to protect yourself from that particular setup and problem. Um, also, um, there was let me think here. I, don't, I thought I had this on here. What's going on? Ah, my laptop got into some kind of a weird... That is our Florida hospital. Yeah, our Florida hospital was breached. Medical records were stolen. Yeah. Um, the other one that you know about, you may have heard about, is Yahoo. That's on here as well. That's the biggest compromise of data ever. I think 1.3 billion user accounts and passwords. So this is serious stuff. That's all I'm trying to say here. Um, 
this data is out there and so your password is more important now than ever um, and trying to protect yourself is more important now than ever. This is an interesting one. The top worst passwords in 2017, the top 10. It's still surprising that these are passwords that are being used and a number of these were being used for uh, places that they should not have been used. <laughs> like uh, email accounts and uh, Facebook accounts. So I think most of us here would, would say, oh yeah, we, we know better than to use those, but. Um, you know, the hardest thing about passwords is we forget them. Right, right, so we gotta. Atlas book and I hide sometimes my password in here because I just forget. Oh yeah, for your reason right away, yeah. Yeah, and that's we got to talk about that today too a little bit. What we can do to remember our passwords. I'm just restarting here because I my notes are not showing up and I don't know what's going on. There we go. No, no, I do. It's probably not safe to do it that way. Yeah, you need to use different passwords. Okay, here we go. So password wisdom has changed a lot in the last five or six years. I remember when I first started working in computer systems, probably uh, it was about 1991, um, when I first started working full time and I just come out of school and the password wisdom was always about complexity. That's all we talked about. Make sure you don't use English words, make sure you throw in special characters and all that, okay? And it makes it very difficult to remember. The current wisdom has shifted dr dr dramatically from that. And most everybody now talks about length and very little about complexity. So length basically trumps complexity at this point as the current thinking. 12 characters is a lot, but I think most of you could do a 12 character password without too much difficulty if it was a phrase. And that's the way we usually do passwords now, is we do phrases. And so you could come up with some interesting phrases and ones you might know already. And so an interesting one, I can give you an example. Um, you know, uh, most of you know some hymns, okay? So you could do a phrase like, what a friend we have, 499. 499 is the hymn number, okay? What a friend, S-D-A-H, Seventh-day Adventist hymnal, 499. You could put the number at the beginning. Now, what I do typically, if I'm gonna do something like that, and I don't use hymns, but I use other phrases that I know really well, I might do what dot a dot friend dot we dot Throwing all those dots in there. I might throw a number in there somewhere, just, just have something arbitrary. Um, I, I've made that recommendation. So that's how you can get a longer password and make it easier to remember. So that word through should be the word throw in a special character? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that should be the row throw. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Throw in a special character. Throw in is a, yeah. Yep. 
Uh, okay, and the most important thing, though, that I, I just want to say about passwords is not to reuse them. So I described to you how one of our conference administrators' account was hacked. How was that hacked? Because they used the same password on their credentials for their email that they used for another major uh, system, um, which I'm trying to remember the name of. <laughs> it wasn't Facebook, but it was something like Facebook. Um, it's the one that's for people that are... Uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn, that's the one, thank you. They used the same credentials on LinkedIn that they had on their main uh, email account. And LinkedIn was hacked a number of months ago, completely hacked, all their, all their data and passwords were stolen. And all the hackers had to do, we know that they had the password because we looked at the logs. In their first attempt, they were into this person's account. They didn't, they didn't have any missed, they didn't, they didn't you know, try, they just knew it right away. So they had stolen it and, they, and, they had, and he had reused the same password. I don't think so, unless you're saving it for something that's non-consequential to you. Yeah, I, I, I would be careful with doing it with your bank. I, I wouldn't recommend it. If it's for CNN or Fox News or something like this, it's not a huge deal, right? Wall Street Journal. Something that's innocuous, you probably can use it for. But for your important passwords, I probably would not. Creating a Word document on your computer with all your passwords in it is not a good idea. Keeping it on your computer. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, saving your passwords in a text file or in a Word document, I I don't recommend it. I I don't like the idea because I think it's um, it's very vulnerable. Okay, there's nothing protecting your passwords, essentially, other than you're keeping them on your local computer and so you're hoping that nobody is going to get to them. But if your computer is hacked and they're sitting in a Word document, they could, anyone that's into your computer can see that. Now, maybe there's some way you can sort of make it more difficult for people to know what those passwords are. Because I do know some people, they will put those passwords in, but they don't put the real password in, they put clues to the password in. That's, a, that's probably not so bad. But. I, keep, I keep mine on a Word document. Okay. Password protected Word document. That's better. With a stronger password. Right, that's better. And I put it in a file folder called Poetry. Nobody's ever going to look there. That's good, too. <laughs> yep, that's not a bad that's way. Right, I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I, I think if you at least have the Word document password protected, you're a little ahead of the game. Those are not, I mean, I don't want you to think, though, that that's, really safe because it's not hard to break the encryption for Word, okay? It's not a super hard encryption. Yeah, same idea though. Yeah, it's not that difficult. Um, and I got a couple other ones on here, you know, using your name, your date of birth, your address, this kind of stuff in your password, probably not the best idea. Um, and then keeping your password under your keyboard, I, I'm a little leery of that. And I think sharing them is really important, too, not to share your passwords. I mean, there may be some specific reason why you need to do that. I do share my passwords with, with my wife. So, and I give her my password, to uh, the pin code to my phone and my iPad and that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, in general, I wouldn't want to do that. Now, here's the challenge, though. <laughs> 
So you want a unique password for every place you go on the internet. I literally have 200, and 200 plus passwords right now that I have to remember. So I've got passwords for systems, all kinds of systems, cloud systems and the like. So there's obviously no way I'm going to remember 200 passwords at my age. <laughs> yeah, it's just not possible. Okay, so what do you do? Well, first of all, before we get into that, I just wanted to show you these things. This is kind of fun. Um, there's some places online you can go to check your password to see if you're using something that's effective. And I like this, this one there at the top that's for fun. It's called the Passive Aggressive Password Machine. Is anyone seeing this? Oh, let's, let's go and take a quick look at it then, just so you can see this here. All right, so we could type in a password, and I'm going to type in the password we have here. We have the password meeting, right? So it's tripap.com. So it's, it's, it basically tells you you're never going to get You can, it's fun. It's just so. And on and on it goes, so. You also tend to think it's people trying all these numbers. Oh, yeah, it's not people. Yeah, it's programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely programs, not, not people. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, TriPAP is kind of fun. So there's that one. But if you really want to get serious about uh, checking a password. Now, the challenge with checking a password you're typing a password into somebody's website <laughs> and you're giving them your password. So I, I'm not sure this is always such a, a great idea. Um, but so what I do is I use something similar to my password, but not my real password when I'm testing it. So I'm not going to put in there what my real password is. So if my real password was meeting, what we have here, I wouldn't type meeting into here if I really wanted to check it. I type in a word that's close, like seeking. So that I'm not putting my real, real, number, real one in there. Uh, I, I think these are reasonably safe, but I, I'm just, maybe I'm overly cautious. I, I don't like putting in the real thing. So this is another password checker. Um, uh, and here you could type in uh, an actual password. So we're going to type in a meeting here. And we'll see what it, what it tells us about meeting. Uh, I think I got to do this. Here we go. It's telling us it's weak, right? That's a weak password. All right. We highly recommend you change it. And, the, and then it tells you down here why it's a bad idea to use that password. It's length. It's, it's a common word. Okay. So those are some of the things. Now, if you type in something a little bit better, like you could add, uh, we were talking about using a hymn here. So let's just do the hymn one. If I did, what a friend. Um, let me go back to that screen. I'll show you here. Just one second, friend. We, and it's already telling us this is very strong. And it's pretty strong because of the length. And then you might do something like, um, let me see here if I can do this. Question mark, and then a number. Okay. And you can see this is a very strong password. Okay. I put in a question mark. Can I? 
It's the hymn. And so this is very easy to remember, actually. Right? It's very simple. I mean, I could remember that without really having to worry about it too much. So, so some ideas there. Um, let me go back to the other screen so you can see the URL for that. So that one I went to was lastpass.com slash howsecure.php. If you want to go there, you can, you can look at it. Um, it's a very good um, password uh, checker. And then the other one down here is also very good. Uh, this uh, lastpass.com howsecure is, is a pretty new program. It's been out not that long, I think maybe a year or two in terms of the password checker. The one below at grc.com slash haystack.htm, that one has been around a number of years. Probably, it might be 15 years old. I don't know. I, I don't remember, but it's, I know I've used it over the years many, many times. So it's been around a while. So, but let's just go to this other one too, just just to take a. Sometimes I think some more secure places, like the banking, they'll tell you right there if it's weak. They will. Yes. You don't need to go to a site sometimes. So yeah. Some, some places yeah. More secure like that. Right. That's correct. Yes, that is correct. They will. So let's just do this in here, though, just for fun of it. We're doing this meeting um, thing, and. What this tells us here, maybe I need to go this way with it. Is that better? Okay. I just typed in meeting, and what it's telling us here is it tells you a lot about your password, okay? It tells you the length, the depth of the search space. So there's 26 characters in the, in the alphabet, so because we didn't use any numbers. And then down here, what's really interesting is um, a massive cracking array scenario, how long would it take to guess this password? Uh, an absolute blink of an eye to guess that password. It's so small a number, it's a fraction of a second because it's an English word in the dictionary. <laughs> and the first thing hackers try is every word in the dictionary. And they can do that so fast that you can't even, so anyway. And if we just, and all we have to do though is add some things to it, and if we were to put onto here I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but if we just do that, you can see that all of a sudden our massive cracking array scenario went to 3.76 years from a fraction of a second. So there's a huge differential in how easy it is to, to get a password if you add some, some good stuff to it. Okay. All right. Um, the other one I was just at, here I'll put it, it's the bottom one up there, grc.com slash haystack.htm, slash haystack.htm. And I was thinking, I gotta, I gotta come up with a way to email you guys some of these links. I, we talked about that yesterday and I haven't come up with, a, I, I guess I just need to maybe put a piece of paper out and have you guys write your name and email address down if you want to get, and I'll email you the links if you're interested in them. Yeah. I'll try to remember to do that tomorrow. Okay, um, we did the, um, the uh, more here on the password wisdom. Here's, here's what I wanted to tell you about trying to keep track of passwords. It's impossible, right? It's just not possible to keep track of all the passwords. So we, we have to use password managers. And to me, this is the best way that I know of in today's world to keep track of your passwords, is to use a password manager. And the one I recommend is, is LastPass, and it's, the website is lastpass.com, lastpass.com. They have a free version. 
so you can use it for free. And the free version works best if you're using it on a single device. So if you have a computer or an Android or something like that, or an iPhone, and you want to use it on that platform, that's your best option, the free, the free version. If you want to use it on your iPhone, your Windows machine, and your Android, you probably want to get the paid version, which is not super expensive, but it is $24 a year for that. Um, they also have what's called a family version, and the family version is $48 a year, and you can have up to six users on that. So for $48, you can put you, your, your spouse, your kids, or your, your, your mom, your dad, whatever you want on that, on that version. I, I like it really well, but I, I, I use it with some caution. And you have to really be thinking about... Um, how you're going to use this. Um, and the number one thing you have to realize is there's a master password, right, to get into the password manager. You have to remember that password. If you forget that password, there's no way to get in, okay? They can, there is no back door. So you can't call LastPass up and say, I forgot my master password, can you let me in? If they did that, then people would realize that they could get into to my passwords. They do not have a way to get in. And so you have to remember it. And um, so that's the most important thing. So are you saying they're hack-proof? Well, nothing is, right? right? There is no such thing as hack-proof, but they are very, very secure. They're very secure. It'd be very difficult for someone to do that. Could it happen? Yeah. And so I, I take two caveats when I'm dealing with these guys. I take my primary email account password, and I don't put it into the password manager. Now, you might ask, why, why do I care about my primary email? Does anyone have an idea why I might be really concerned about my primary email? Because my attack before my building law a real nasty note, and he called me on Yeah, yeah. He told me what happened, and I said, Don, you know I, I would never do that. Yes. Yep. So I called the company so they could trace it, fix it, whatever they did. Sure. That's a good reason. But, but, but why would, that, that's a very good reason, because, because someone could hack and start sending emails out to all your friends and family. It's not a good idea. But there's some other reason why that I'm thinking of why you would not want your primary email in here. Any password changes and all those things go to your primary email. Exactly. Very good. All of your, if you need to do a reset of your password on your Facebook, on your Twitter, on your bank, on all these other things, all those password resets go back to your email account. If someone hacks your email account, they can reset your Facebook account, they can reset your Twitter account, they can reset uh, all kinds of things you have access to. And so I'm just a little bit cautious in the sense because I'm saying, okay, let's say LastPass is hacked and my email is in there, now they could reset all these other things too. So I, I just like keeping that one out and not having it in the password manager for that, for that very reason, for that one reason. Is it advantageous to change your password on your account from time to time? It is. It is. And the reason it's, it's good to do that, especially if you hear of a breach, because passwords are compromised from time to time. They're stolen. And so, like, Yahoo's entire database was stolen. 
If you have a Yahoo account and you haven't changed your password in the last year, you absolutely should change it immediately <laughs> because I can guarantee you that someone out there can probably get into your Yahoo account at this point. And if you're using the Yahoo password on other accounts, you still have the same issue. They could get in. So yeah, really, I recommend changing them frequently. Okay, so I have, I have, uh, I've tottered on this a little bit. So right now what I'm doing is I'm only putting, I, I don't put my primary bank account in there. Um, I'm less concerned about bank accounts than I am about others. I know that sounds surprising. But why would I be less concerned? Well, let's, let's give a scenario. So your bank account gets hacked and you have an issue with your bank account, you know, you, you need to get back into your bank account, how are you going to get into your bank account? You just call the bank and tell them I need to get in and they verify you and they get you in. So that's why I'm less concerned because I know there's a way in to my bank account. Email, there's not always a way in, okay? There's not somebody I can call. I can't call Google up and say, my account's been hacked, let me in. There's no number to call. <laughs> there's no way. I need to be, keep that one as, as safe as I can. So basically anybody you're doing business with where you're paying for a service or you have a business relationship with somebody, those accounts are actually easier to get password res reset on than companies that are, that are giving you a free service like Facebook and Google. But there is a danger, right? So if someone hacks your, your bank account, they could steal your money. So that's, that is a big risk too, right? So you have to be cautious with those accounts. No, yeah. I have a question. Do you deal with companies like Abide or the line online with some companies frequently? Yep. Uh, when they get hacked, can they get my credit card number? It's possible. Yep. Yep. And when we talk a little later in the week about uh, uh, bank accounts and finances, I want to talk to you a little bit about how we deal with that. Um, because I've, you know, some people will say, don't ever set up an online bank account and don't, don't, don't uh, do anything online financially. And I would argue against that in the sense that if you're not doing it, somebody else may be on your account. Because the banks are letting people, uh, you know, are giving the online access. So I think it's better to monitor than it is to ignore. Um, yeah, we're, we've, we're out of time to do this demo. I was thinking we'd have time to do a demo, but... Um, Sorry? This one here? This is the only other one. I was going to do a demo here. I, we are out of time to do a demo. Uh, maybe we can do that first thing in the morning of LastPass, because I really want you guys to get a look at that. Now, I will say this. So, I, I have some, some friends that do not want to use the password manager. And, and that's fine. And I... I but I, here's, here's what I want to say about it. If you don't want to use a password manager, this is going to sound crazy, but I would recommend writing passwords down. Yep. I, would, I would recommend writing them down because I would rather you use a more complex password that you write down than an easy password that you try to remember. I think it's much, much safer. And the reason I say that is because if you write it on a piece of paper somewhere or something like that, you know where it is. You have physical control over that. 
And so it's much more, it's very unlikely that someone gets a hold of that piece of paper. Is it possible? Sure, anything's possible. But I'm just saying, you know, you're really minimizing your risk by writing it down, getting a complex password, and, and, and doing it that way. Now, there's a way you can write it down, too, right, that even if somebody got the piece of paper, they couldn't get into your account, right? So if you are going to write it down, what I recommend, I have... By the way, I have my, um, the master password for my LastPass account written down and in my wallet. But if you got a hold of it, you couldn't get in. Because I don't write the whole password down, right? I just write the stuff, enough of it that I can remember what the whole thing is. And so that's my recommendation. So we were talking about what a friend we have in Jesus as a password. So if you wrote that down, you might write it down but not write the 499 down on the piece of paper, right? Leave the 499 off, and that's all you have to remember. I just got to remember what's the number for that hymn. And, and some system like that, I'm just using that as an example, but some system where you have some uh, ability to know the password without the whole thing being written down. Yeah? I like to use an old testament Bible book, and I tweak it. Sure. And um, yeah. I just, you're... you're Illustration error is perfect because I don't write those right. I know what book it is, but yeah. I tweak it. Sure. So you don't. Yep. It's a very good way. Yeah. Right. And I do this in the password manager, by the way. So I'm storing passwords in the manager, but if it's a very important password to me, I don't actually put the full password into the password manager. Even. I'll put part of the password, just like we were talking about writing it down. So you can tweak it that way as well and use the password manager. The password manager is very nice because it gives you access to your passwords no matter where you are. So that's, that's why I like it uh, and why I use it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.